So, this is a quick straw poll, but I've kind of got a feeling as to, to how this vote would go. How, how many of you would, would, would say you are free as a, as a hands-up vote? How many of you would say you're free? Good. Number of, number of, yeah. How many would you would say you're slaves? David, that's because I talked to you earlier. <laughs> how many of you have read Romans 6? There we go. <laughs> Let's start with that. If you can turn to Romans chapter 6, um, we're going to be uh, reading from verse 11 through to verse 23 at the end of the chapter, and I'll read it out. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free, set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Ah, see, I don't know. There we go. <laughs> I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human, limita- your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God... It's eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's interesting always to know that throughout Scripture, not just in Scripture, in a lot of life, you will come across paradoxes, things that, um, that seem contradictory but are both true. And you find this through in the Bible. You are free, that is true. You're a slave to righteousness, that's also true. It's a paradox there. And it's interesting... Uh, as a teacher, a preacher, just to look on some of the things that you've taught and you've emphasized in the past. Um, Because we believe absolutely the Bible is the word of God. Its authority is unchallenged, and this is unchanging. This is eternal truth. This will never be changed or altered, and it's always our ultimate source for God's teaching. None of it will ever be done away with. However, our understanding of the Bible can change. And actual fact, because we have a living relationship with God, God can emphasize some aspects of his word more in a different seasons because he's wanting to reveal more of that aspect of his character because God is multifaceted. He's rather complex, being God. And so there are times when we look at things and go, is it one, is it the other? Actually, it's both. Sometimes, in a season of our life, God will emphasize one aspect of his character more because he's wanting to bring a greater revelation. 
And we need to always be open to rereading the Bible, engaging with the Holy Spirit as we do that, and getting fresh revelation from that. Anyone who feels that they've achieved a full understanding of the Bible and don't need to learn anything more, they're probably pretty dangerous. That's probably not a good place to be at. God uses scripture as his word for today, and he'll at times lead us towards certain aspects of it that he wants to speak about. And we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and he'll prompt, you, he'll prompt us on that, and he'll prompt us in our understanding. So with this in mind, some, I mean, some years ago, I preached on, on two ways to live, on the fact that humans don't exist in a truly independent state. We all serve something or someone. Um, I taught on this. We either serve God or we serve our sinful nature. And some of it was quite good. At the time, I worked in the Bob Dylan song, You've Got to Serve Somebody. There's just not enough Bob Dylan references in modern-day preaching. But um, it really should be in there more with that classic line, it may be the devil or it may be the law, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Uh, the words of Bob Dylan. And so I was talking, you've got to serve someone. Either serve your sinful nature or you serve God. And then, you know, five, ten years ago, God began to speak to us with increasing emphasis on being children of God, of sonship, of being sons and daughters, um, and experiencing the father heart of God. And that's been something that we've really walked in the blessing of, and that's been an amazing privilege. And, uh, and you have to put that alongside the idea of servanthood. And in that teaching, there's one verse that's mentioned, John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. And I was thinking, oh, rats, I've been teaching people to be servants. <laughs> I've got it wrong. Well, have I? And unfortunately, remembered this passage, which can teach me both. Because <laughs> we're teaching people, yeah, they're friends, sons and daughters. And then also servants of God as well. And, uh, and also bear in mind that Jesus very much portrayed himself as a servant. So don't look down on servanthood. You might end up looking, trying to look down on Jesus. That would be an awkward position for you. And in this passage, actually, slavery is probably more of a metaphor or actually a way of illustration. So Paul's that, Paul says that in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms. He's very clear at the outset. This is not a perfect analogy and probably less of a perfect analogy for us now that we fortunately live in a country where, you know, for most of us, slavery is not a reality. I know elsewhere it can be still. And uh, with that in mind, we need to hold these two truths alongside each other. And I'm going to talk about two ways to live, being slaves to sin or being slaves to righteousness. And I'll repeat my statement from a few years ago, a few years ago, actually. No human is truly independent and in charge of their own desires. We all submit to something. And in this passage, we look at the concept of how our, our natural desires change once we've committed our lives to Jesus. And we're told very clearly there are two ways to live, one leading to destruction and one leading to eternal life. Um, and this passage also informs us how we should deal with sin once we're in the kingdom, once we're saved. So those are the two things I'm going to be looking at in main detail tonight. First is that one, two ways to live, slave to sin, slave to Christ. And I'll explain some of that terminology as we go on. And then also, 
as Christians, what's our attitude towards sin and how do we combat that and how do we go about that? Um, so I actually take it in that order. So I'll actually look at verse 16 onwards first and then I'll come back to the, the first half at the end. So Romans, Apostle Paul wrote Romans mainly to Christians, to the church in Rome, obviously. Uh, however, it also speaks to non-Christians as well. And the appeal to life in relationship with a loving God is there throughout. Um, and if you're here tonight and in actual fact you don't know Jesus, this passage speaks to you. This is reaching out to you and this is not to condemn you. Okay, But actual fact for God to declare his love to you. It's certainly not here to make you feel inferior or to feel condemned. Mainly because all of us would be pretty open about the fact that we did not become Christians. We did not come to know Jesus because we were in any way better than anyone else. It is not because we stuck to a moral code. Okay. It is because Jesus reached out and saved us. We are all here because of the love and mercy of God. And it depends entirely on him and not on us. And we're all open about that. So if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus... Um, this passage is just talking to you in actual fact saying there is another way to live and that's a way in, in loving relationship with an amazing God. Verse 16 onwards. So it talks mainly about our, our pre-salvation state. What, was the, what were we like before we were saved? Before we became Christians? Before God intervened in our lives? What was, what was the state for us? And it says we were slaves to sin. That's quite strong language, isn't it? Um, but Paul definitely tries to hammer this home. It's not just a passing reference. If you look at verse 16 through to verse 20, he, he says it pretty much once in every verse. He's clearly trying to drive a point home. Without the Lordship of Christ, our natural inclination is against God. It's to act unrighteously. We were slaves to sin. We were, we were, the direction of our lives was completely opposed to the way that God had intended for us. By common grace, we're still able to do some good things. It's not saying if you're not a Christian, there you can do no good things, because we're all created in the image of God. But very much, um, sin had a grip on us. We were always drawn to that. That was always going to be our natural path. No matter how hard we tried to go the other way, we were always going to be drawn back to that way. We were in slavery, and that's how we have to view that. Because, in fact, we will say we're freed. We were freed from something. We were freed from slavery and from bondage to sin. And, and people will argue about that or will say that they don't feel that's the truth. They're saying, you know, I don't serve anyone. Yes, I don't serve your God, but I don't serve anyone else either. I'm my own man, my own woman. I do as I please. Or do you, is, is the question that has to be asked. Do you always live up to your own standards? As Christians, we'd say that there is an absolute moral law and we believe that comes from God, that's not dreamt up by us, and that there are absolutes of right and wrong. We hold to that. Even someone that says they don't believe there's an absolute right and wrong will still have their own moral code, yes? Everyone will have standards that they would expect either themselves to live up to and probably by implication they would hope others would live up to as well. There is still people, you know, if I just wander up and kick someone on the street, they will probably tell you that's wrong. Okay? If you ask them to prove why that's wrong, okay, you are appealing. There is a certain degree um, to which everyone believes there is some right and wrong. So everyone has their own moral standard. 
None of us stick to it. No one adheres to that perfectly. No one is able to say, I always act in accordance with what I feel I should do. No one is able to say, you know what, I always behave in the manner I want to. I always get to the end of each day and go, nailed it, got that one perfect. Didn't make any mistakes. Yes, I'm there. I'm my own man. <laughs> We're not independent in that way. There are constraints on whether we, whether we like, on our behavior, whether we like it or not. No one lives up to even their own moral code, let alone the code of, the moral code of a perfect God. If you read the earlier chapters of Romans, chapters 1 to 2, it spends a lot of time saying that no one is righteous. No one does entirely right. And it's also very clear to say that even those that look down on those for not getting it right are themselves not getting it right. <laughs> if you're acting smug and thinking, well, better than those people, you're proud. You've got it wrong. Sorry. <laughs> and also, all of us would be hypocritical in that way. So all of us lived, we weren't completely free. And we couldn't, we can choose probably what we want, but you weren't probably free to choose how that desire was shaped and how it was expressed. And none of us could ever live the way that we really felt that we should. There was always something dragging us down, and that was a slavery to sin. Everyone has that. And yet people think they're free, and, and they think it's religion that will imprison them, uh, which it will, if, if you go that way, because in fact we don't believe in, in Christianity as a religion and a set of rules that has to be followed. We believe it as a relationship. But people see that and see faith and see Christianity as a limiting factor. When I, and I had this discussion a lot at university, so I was chatting to a friend of mine. Um, we will call her Gordon again. It's a different Gordon from last time, but we will call her Gordon. And she was just saying, you know, I respect, I respect your view to go that way, but I, I could never be a Christian. I'd find that too restricting. I'd find that too limiting. I wouldn't be able to do the things that I wanted to do. And she felt that it impinged on her freedom. Now, in one sense, it's totally wrong that, that Christianity is, is impinging on freedom. Okay. Christianity is not restricting because Jesus came to liberate. He came to give life. He came to set us free. Now, in another sense, Christianity should stop you doing some things and make you servants of another way of living. Because without Christ, we were free, but it's in a rather, rather warped way. Look at verse 20. This is the key bit on this. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. So, yeah, you were free. What were you free from? <laughs> You were free from the control of righteousness. You were free to sin. You were free to live without God. That's, that's not much freedom, actually. So people see that and say, well, I have to sign up. I'm just going to give away all my freedom. And, uh, but it's actually it's no true freedom at all. It says, it's actual fact, it's a lack. It's a lack of relationship. And verse 21 Effectively asks, what good did that do you? Verse 21 says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? But those things result in death. What good did that do you? In the end, it leads to death. Danny Silk would phrase it, how's that working out for you? How's, how's that freedom from God going? You're not bothered by that loving God. 
How's that going? And this is the paradox that we face, isn't it? Freedom from one thing is slavery to another. Freedom from God and him having no, no demands on your life is actually slavery to sin and slavery to evil. We can walk our own way saying, I'm not going to subject to God, but actually that's not true freedom. We will automatically lead a life leading to unfulfillment, wickedness, separation, to broken relationships, and in the end, to death. Because freedom from God, as we all know, is not freedom from a cruel despot. Okay? It's not freedom from a taskmaster or a killjoy or someone that wants to stop your fun. Freedom from God is lack of relationship with a loving father. Okay? It is not being under his protection, and it is not knowing his blessing. And becoming a Christian is a complete change of allegiance. In fact, verse 22 says, We're now free from sin and slaves to Christ. And I know slavery is an odd term to use in that. And remember, Paul has said in verse 19, not absolutely a perfect analogy. He's putting it in human terms. But the point he is making is that there's a complete and dramatic shift when Jesus enters your life. You go from one master to another. You go from one kingdom to another. These are polar opposites. And for me, the point when he says you're now slaves to Christ, it's saying you can't go back to your old master. It's not like you're owned by sin and you've been loaned to Christ. Christ doesn't have you on a rental agreement. You are not in the kingdom of darkness and then seconded for a brief period to the kingdom of light. You are gone. You are bought. We can't go back to our old master. We are slaves to Christ. Christ has a hold on you. You are not free to live without the benefits of God. All right? He will not let you do that. He is not going to let you live without his love. I'm sorry. You're just a slave to that. He's not going to let you go. (laughs) This is a good thing. And it means your old master has no authority because you've been bought with a price that's been paid. You are no longer a slave to sin that has no authority over you. You are now completely owned and actual fact in the dominion of Christ. The term slave to Christ to me indicates no one else will ever own you. No one else will ever have that hold on your life. No one else will control you or direct you. You are given a permanent status in his kingdom. And true freedom is found in relationship with the God that made us. In actual fact, it's only by submitting to him do we actually get to experience that and live life as he intended and live life to the full. Because this slavery looks pretty different to the old one. The second half of verse 22 says, The benefit that we reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Like I said, this is a good deal, this slavery to Christ. This is not a harsh slavery, but this is God saying, gotcha, never letting you go. Welcome to my family. Welcome to life eternal. Yeah, you can be happy about that. That's all right. (laughs) And to the blessings that I give you. And if you look at verse 23, you'll note that the principles of the two ways of life are significantly different. One gives what we deserve, and one gives so much more than that. When slaves to sin, so I'll read verse 23 actually. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When slaves to sin, we earn our wages. We get what's coming to us. We sin, we suffer, separation from God because he is perfect and holy. That's the wages. And ultimately, this leads to death. If anyone ever says they don't need Jesus, they just want to be judged according to their life and get what's coming to them, they can, but it's not good. Because all that, and that's the same for all of us. Romans, earlier in Romans 3, uh, it says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one that gets in on their own merit. And we could all have had our wages and got what we deserved. That's death. That's not a good wage. How many of you would like that job? <laughs> Imagine if you went for an interview, you know. <laughs> You got, you know, it had gone well. You'd got on well with the interviewing panel, and they'd started to offer you the job, and they're starting to to offer terms. All right, well, you get six weeks holiday a year. Six weeks, oh, that's good. You work nine to five. Yeah, that's all right. Company car. Yeah. How's the salary? Oh, uh, we're willing to pay you death. That's not good. That's, <laughs> not many of you would go for that job. Imagine it. You know, be like. If, George Osborne announced a new minimum wage of death. That wouldn't, wouldn't be popular. Or at least probably less popular than he is now. Um, that would not be an incentive to work. We all deserved our wages in that way. God wants to not give you that. He wants you to not earn that. That's the wages. The second half of verse 23, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. God doesn't give us what he deserves. He gives us. He just makes gifts. Eternal life and every blessing. Service to God actually doesn't result in wages. It results in the abundant gift of our Father. It's an outpouring of grace, mercy and love. And he gives us so much more than we would ever deserve. And he wants to just keep giving. And he wants to just keep pouring that blessing into your life. So there are two ways to live. Slaves to Christ is really no slavery at all. You're called to live free under the rule of, the God, of God who wants the best for you. Those are the two ways to live. And fortunately, and I'm just so grateful, I've been called out of that one kingdom and into the other. And God offers that freely. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. And that offer is open to all of us. And I know... All of us have, have taken up on, and a lot of us have taken up on that. And we just need to keep that in mind, always knowing what you were freed from, but knowing quite the depths to how free you are, because uh, you're slaves to Christ. He's not letting you go. You're always going to be free in him. He's never letting you. He's never letting you away. You're always loved and in his family. We'll move on back to the, the earlier half of the passage. With that in mind, now we are no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to Christ, we're in his family. How do we look at our attitude towards sin and temptation once we're saved? Because too often we, we see ourselves as, a, as desperately trying to walk the line, not veering off, trying to live in a manner that pleases God, but having to fight the tendency to sin all the time. And struggle, to, struggle with sin can be very real. I'm not downplaying that. If you have something that persistently troubles you, I'm not belittling that at all. And it doesn't mean you're not saved. 
I want to be very clear on that. I will probably say that again towards the end, but struggling with sin does not mean that you are not saved. In actual fact, if, if you are wanting to overcome that, that shows that the Holy Spirit has started to spark the desire for change in you. Mm-hmm. But what this passage teaches us is that we resist sin not just by trying very hard, but by correctly understanding who we are. The key to living peacefully and with godliness is to know your identity. I'll just read 11 to 14 again. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Count yourself dead to sin. Read the whole chapter at some point soon because the first half of it is being talks about being dead to sin and alive to Christ. So count yourself dead to sin. You know that dead people aren't tempted by much. For example... Uh, let's say that my particular temptation is to overindulge in peanut M&Ms, uh, which is a very real problem for me. Uh, <laughs> while I'm alive, they, they might seem rather appealing. Okay, I might be really hooked on them, you know, eating like five packs a day. Some of you are looking at me like, five packs? Lightweight, ten, come on. <laughs> if I die, I'm not going to be reaching for the packet of M&Ms again. Dead people don't have much of a thing for peanut (laughs) M&M's. It's just not appealing. Got no no inclination that way. I know that's a slightly frivolous example, although some of you are looking like you really do care about M&M's, and I know that's a... uh, We're talking deep truths here. But the point is our old self died. And the, the early part of the chapter talks about how our identity is in Christ. And as he died, our old self died. That old sinful nature, that got crucified with Christ. You're not just saved through Christ, you are saved in Christ. Your identity is in him. We're given a new life. And it's a new life free from the slavery of sin, as we looked at. And it's under the lordship of Jesus. And for me, the key verse here is verse 14. It says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. This isn't a command, you'll notice. It doesn't say work hard at not sinning. It doesn't even say don't, don't let sin be your master. It says sin will not be your master. This is a statement. And this is a promise. This is a promise to you, to all of us. Sin will not be your master. This is God saying sin no longer has a hold on you. Because when you're, when you're saved, when you, are, when you become a Christian, when you enter that relationship with Jesus, not only are you delivered from, you're delivered from the penalty of sin, okay? all the punishment that should have gone your way, that's gone. You're delivered from the penalty of sin. You are also delivered from the power of sin. And this is important. Okay? So, in mind, you no longer expect to be punished because Jesus bore all of that. He also completely broke the power of sin. You've been freed from punishment. You've also been freed from slavery. And this is the difference, actually, between dead, dead religion and, and uh, relationship with God. 
because Christianity teaches relationship, it teaches salvation by grace. If you have an empty empty religion that doesn't have that relationship at its heart, it says follow these rules. Try harder. Jesus says, live free with me, slaves to Christ, we're bound to him, he won't let us be bound again by sin. Okay. Don't let, it, don't let yourself become religious and saying, I get there by following the rules. Actually, get there by a relationship with Jesus who said, you're mine and you're in me and your identity is in me. And so when we're tempted to sin, we actually need to look at Jesus to remind ourselves of who we are in him and that we've changed teams, switched allegiances, like I said. Obviously, there's no finer illustration of this this, illust- this deep theological point that you've switched teams. Uh, the best illustration is, of course, Wayne Rooney. Uh, you're f- familiar with Wayne Rooney? I know, I know a lot of you aren't football fans, but most of you should at least be conscious of who he is. Yes? Wayne Rooney. Give me a nod. Yes. Okay. Which team does he play for? No idea. Good. Okay. Manchester United. For both. Which team did he play for before that? Everton. Everton. He used to play for Everton. Okay. And they, Manchester United bought him. He was transferred from one team to the other. When Manchester United play Everton, do you think Wayne Rooney is tempted to, you know, go back to Everton and score one for the other side? No. More cynical among you might, might point out he's not been particularly tempted in terms of scoring for Man United this season, but we, we wouldn't be that cruel. Um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't play, you know, the match is 90 minutes long. He doesn't spend, say, you know, he's got it mostly right, 70 minutes playing for United and 20 minutes he's going in and just kicking the United players from behind, getting in a sneaky tackle and trying to set a goal up for Everton. No. Because he's grasped that he has changed teams. He has changed allegiances. And I would put it to you that if Wayne Rooney can grasp that concept, so can we. (laughs) Now, please hear this as well. And I think, like I said earlier, temptation to sin or even patterns of sin that seem to persist in your life, they don't mean that you're not saved. Because I've heard this this passage taught to me before and said, and thought, oh, I'm dead to sin, but it still seems a bit alive to me. I don't seem to be as dead as I wish I was. Am I sure I'm saved? This is not a discouragement. Like I said, the fact that you identify there's things you want to change, that's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And that's really key. And in actual fact, that prompting should also be our empowerment and our reason. It says in Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, Live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's not about our effort. It's about our will, to some degree, and our partnering with God. He's not going to just come and trample over all of your thoughts. But you live by the Spirit, and you remember who you are. Revelation of who we are as God's children doesn't all come at once, and that's a journey in that. We're sanctified, and that goes over our whole lives. And if you still feel that, that actually, I think all of us, I would say, you will still feel at times that sin is a battle in your life. However, under your previous state, it was always a losing battle. You couldn't win that one. You were a slave to that way of thinking. You didn't have a way out. You couldn't win. 
you're no longer fighting a losing battle. You are on the winning side and Jesus is going to win that with you. The rule, rule, that rule of sin over our lives has been broken and we are changed so that we can walk free. What you take from this is that promise. Sin will not be my master because I am under grace. I don't have to sin anymore. I'm not punished for my sin anymore. That punishment was taken by Jesus. So the attitude that's helped me that I've, in my thinking is when tempted to sin, it, trying to think not, I must not. It's more, I don't have to. That's the way you look at it. All right? It's not, must not, must not, must follow this rule, must try harder, and eventually that breaks down. But actually, back when them did the scene, you're going, actually, I don't have to do that anymore. That's not who I am. That's not my identity, because actual fact, I'm in Christ. I'm not a slave to that anymore. It doesn't have a hold on me. There is nothing that claims me that will ultimately force me to go that way. And I now have the power to be able to overcome that, because I'm in Jesus. So please... Bear this in mind, and this is the message I'd like to go on that. If you feel you're struggling with sin, please go with it. Not with a, I must not, but I don't have to, and Jesus is going to help me with that. And then verse 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we aren't under the law, but under grace? It's asking, if we're free from law, not fearing punishment, should we just sin all we like? Free to do what we want? Go nuts. And Paul then answers this question very succinctly. Uh, and he, what did he say? He says, by no means. Or in the message version, are you kidding me, you bunch of nitwits? <laughs> okay, that's not actually the message version. That's, uh, that, that, that's my paraphrase. You feel, you feel free to use it if you like. Um, but again, oh, notes everywhere. <laughs> we could sin, and you, can, and you can, and you'll still go to heaven, because actual fact, all the punishment was met by Jesus. Okay, you can't out-trump the sacrifice of, of, of Jesus. You, 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 you can't do better than that. But you don't have to, and you are called not to, because you are called to walk in the fullness of God. We can still offer ourselves to it. You're given that option, but that's not who we're called to be. God has called us to be so much more. And he says, offer yourselves to him. Offer yourselves to righteousness leading to holiness, because that's what he's made us to be. And the more we walk with him, actual fact, the more you find that your natural desires are becoming more like his, because we're becoming more and more Christ-like and more like Jesus each day. And our heart takes after his more and more. So yeah, you you could sin, but you don't have to, and why would you? That's the way. And so, yes, all of us will still trip up at times. I've sinned today. I'm pretty sure of that. I can't recall the incident. I'm pretty sure I've been narky with my kids, or I've been moody with one of you. I'm sure I've done things wrong today. None of us are perfect. That's not what we're preaching. But the heart is actual fact. I can overcome that, and... By the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, hey, we become more and more like Jesus each day. And, like I say, that slavery to that way of living, that submitting yourself to Jesus' authority, 
That's where the freedom comes in, because in actual fact, you're free more and more to live righteous, to live like Jesus, which is a good thing, let me tell you, and in actual fact, to walk free from all the power of sin. So always ask yourself, you know, is this how I see myself called to live? Is this who I am? You don't have to give yourself to sin, and it becomes less and less of an attractive option over time, because we occupy our gaze with Jesus. We fix our eyes on him, and in actual fact, it's in that, and it's in that pure love, and the sheer joy, and the amazing privilege of knowing him, that the rest just kind of fades by the wayside. And God gives us this freely as a gift. Offering ourselves to him gives us eternal life. And like I said, submitting to him actually brings the greatest freedom of all, freedom to live as he's intended for you. And I'll... I'll wrap it up there. I'll just summarize briefly. I've said, I've talked about two ways to live. You can live free from God, but slaves to sin, leading to destruction and sorrow and lacking relationship with our Father. Or we can live submitted to God, free from sin, bringing freedom and eternal life. And once we're in, take that promise, sin will not be your master. It can't be because you're in Christ. And we're under grace, and grace gives us the strength to live godly lives. It's not a license to sin, but it's a knowledge that there's no punishment for us, and that we're not bound by that any longer, and that a greater power is at work in us. All right, would you stand up? I'd love love to pray at the end. I always like to pray at the end, um, because I really like Jesus. Um, (laughs) But also, I said, that's, that's the word of God to us. We have to take that and we have to apply that and we have to allow this to take root in our lives. We have to dwell on this, we have to meditate on it and we have to ask Holy Spirit to bring that to us and to walk that out in relationship with him during the week. And so if you're comfortable to just close your eyes and just raise your hands. I'm just going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you set us free And that we can live subject to you with your amazing rule on our life that only ever brings blessing. Father, thank you that we enjoy all the goodness of your kingdom and that we are no longer bound by our old way of life. You have set us free from that completely and that you allow us just to walk in purity and to walk knowing you. We just pray more and more that you will just bring for each of us just a a greater revelation of you, that you will dominate our thinking and be just in our thoughts every day, making all else appear like rubbish because it is compared to you. And pray that you will also just bring such a greater revelation of who we are in you. Thank you that you have called us to be amazing, that you've called us to be pure, that you've called us to be holy, and that you've called us to eternal life. And that sin is no longer our master. That there is nothing that you can't break off us. There's nothing that you can't deal with. We ask Holy Spirit that you'll just fill each one of us. And let us just live life of joy. Thank you for freedom from guilt. We don't need any guilt anymore because you have forgiven everything. And that's eternal. And thank you that we have the complete assurance of eternal life because we are bound to you. Let's pray. If there's anyone... If there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know that and you want to or you just want to know more, come find one of us, me or anyone along the front row here at the end as well. 
God is reaching out to you and he's just wanting to ultimately set you free and to give you a life eternal and it's wonderful. And he will love you more than you could ever know. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. And uh, we just pray for your blessing. Amen.